Hey, Dan O'Donnell here. It's time for another edition of The Difference, the intersection of politics and economics. I'm joined by the president and CEO of Annex Wealth Management, Dave Spano. Our and 75th, Dave. our 75th fella. No. Yes. This is our 75th episode. Yeah. You're having We've so much fun. We've done 75 episodes? Yeah, and you think we'd that be better by now. That doesn't seem right. Yeah, that's weird. Yeah, you, you would think we would have shown some improvement. <laughs> if anything, it seems like the show is getting worse, but nonetheless- But we're having more we fun. We are definitely We are having, having more fun. We, we, you know what? It really is, and I, and I mean this, and I want to uh, say thank you to all of you who listen to us on a weekly basis or whenever you can tune in to the podcast because we genuinely do enjoy doing this. We genuinely do enjoy hanging out and recording, and I hope that shines through on, I guess, not the radio, but your phone or whatever, whatever audio processing equipment you have. So this week, Dave, we are talking about saying goodbye to one of the worst Octobers we've seen in some time, due in no small part to all the global uncertainty following the October 7th terror attack. But we are starting to get into the Christmas buying season. We're seeing strong earnings. I couldn't believe what I saw from that GDP report. Mm -hmm. uh, and there are conflicting thoughts about that. So a lot to get to on this episode. But I guess let's just start with October. Yep. Not the greatest month in the world, was no, it? No, it really, it really wasn't. And part of that was before earnings season starts, the market gets to shift things around. And of course, Israel-Hamas conflict certainly did not help. But generally, when you get into what's called seasonality, which is the fourth quarter, the markets in general have done better. And that just goes back to the saying of sell in May and go away. That means that the second and third quarters are not as good generally. But as you start to get earnings in Q4 and Q1, they've been better and so that that that's what we expect as we get into the end of the year and you know we're trading right around 4150 as our our recording right now but you know if you look at a lot of the Wall Street firms and what they think we're going to be at by the end of the year a lot of them, the big firms are saying 4,500, 4,600, which obviously is positive from where we are today. But that leads into two things. One, earnings. And number two, the GDP report. Those are the positive sides. What we don't know, as you pointed out, is the geopolitical risk. Does it move from a regional conflict to something bigger? I'm, I'm still 50-50. I mean, I who the hell knows when it comes to this. You sort called of thing. for World War Three a couple of weeks I ago. Okay, I did not call for World War Three. All right, <laughs> I said there is a not zero chance this becomes World War Three. It's it's not it's not like I'm the uh, the personification of the military industrial conflict. Yeah, our complex. Yes, yes, kill each other so I can profit. No, no, nobody wants, especially. Uh, in the Middle East, especially yeah. in Jerusalem, because that's got biblical overtones. Uh, we might be talking about the end of the freaking world in addition to World War III. I'm By the saying, way, let me, let me just get Billy out on that. Yeah. So, you know, my daughter goes to school out east and university out there. And, you know, the conversations clearly are that the United States and in Israel, more importantly, are being overzealous, that they're killing these people. I mean, it's really the conversations that she says are happening on, on the university campuses right now is that Hamas is one thing and what the Palestinians are are another thing, and Israel is, is being overzealous. I'm interested in your perspective on that. Well, first of all, college, I think what we've seen on college campuses has been a nightmare. 
it, it has been disgusting, sickening to see all of this support. None of these rallies happen if Hamas does not execute 1,400 innocent civilians in cold blood. So all of the, oh, we oppose Zionism and we oppose occupation and open air prisons and so forth. None of these protests, none of these rallies, none of these statements of solidarity with the, the oppressed Palestinian people happen without that terror attack. Unfortunately, war is messy. And when you're going to war with people who frankly lack a conscience and lack an immortal soul, Anyone who can do what was done, and I'm not sure if you if you saw, and I don't want to get into the details, but Israel, the IDF has released a lot of the video yeah, to select media members, not me, but national media folks, and they've been, you know, sort of talking about it. The depravity, the brutality, the evil. When you're going to war with people like that, especially people who have no compunction about using innocent children and the elderly as human shields, putting their military headquarters and all of their weaponry in children's hospitals and highly populated areas, not allowing people to leave. I think there's a giant misconception about what's going on over there. It's not but, that but Israel— what, what they're saying, Dan, is that there's you have to bisect between— Hamas in the Palestinian people. That's that's you their argument. Do, but there's not a whole lot of breathing room there, unfortunately. There's not a lot of difference between Hamas, yes, has not held a, an election since what, 2005 when they came to power. If you'll notice, there are not massive demonstrations in the United States, on the streets of Gaza, in London, or anywhere else against Hamas, are there? There aren't Palestinian people who fled the region. The, the Palestinian diaspora is not rising up against the brutality of, of Hamas, are they? No. Have you seen one anti-Hamas protest? One. No, you haven't. No. You haven't. So, yes, obviously innocent people are innocent people. And in war, there does need to be a concerted effort to minimize civilian casualties. We understand this all too well following Afghanistan and especially Iraq. But when you're fighting against essentially the same enemy who engages in many of the same tactics, even worse than what even the Islamic State did, I guess I question how in any way you can justify what was done or not suggest that the victims of that attack, the, the governing body of the people who were killed, who have a responsibility to protect those civilians— don't reserve the right following Israel's Pearl Harbor yeah, to, defend, to go in and, and to defend themselves. No, this that, is not this is not that. occupation. This is not an offensive strike. This right. was 9-11. This was Pearl Harbor. This was an incursion into the Israeli mainland, the likes of which they've never seen before. And to have so many people, I guess, be okay with it. Did you see what happened in Dagestan at the airport in Russia? Yep. There was a mob of people, a, a furious mob. If this is just about anti-Zionism and Israeli occupation and all of this, I want you to explain to me how a crowd in Dagestan hears a rumor that there are a bunch of Jewish people fleeing Israel on a flight from Tel Aviv, and they are storming through, marauding through the airport, looking for Jews what is this, Kristallnacht 2023? Yep. I, I'm sorry, the visuals that 
of that are are sickening to me. Yep. There, and I, I'm sorry, I don't want to turn this into a, you know we do a financial and and personal finance podcast. Well, I, I, only, I, I threw a grenade right in the middle of the yeah, room. This yeah, was, this was red meat for me, and <laughs> yeah. you know I'm taking a bite out of that bone. <laughs> uh, but it just, it, it, it is so disheartening to see, and, and I think what has happened, Dave, is you have people, and a lot of people in the Arab world, just hate Jewish people. They just despise them, and they're emboldened by what Hamas did. And that's what we saw in Dagestan. What we're seeing around the world, and including here in the United States, including in basically our own backyards, is what we're seeing is, and it's typically people on the political and social left, who are taking their ideas about Marxist conflict, the proletariat versus the bourgeoisie, which has already been adapted to 21st century racial politics, i.e. the oppressive colonizers, the white majority, the colonialists, we're seeing that filtered through the lens of Middle East politics, wherein the Palestinians are occupied peoples. Mm -hmm. The Israelis are engaging in settler colonialism. The only reason Israel exists is because of the old colonial powers who formed the United Nations and drew arbitrary boundaries. Well, no, that's not entirely it. But when you see the world in that dichotomy, oppressors versus oppressed, and one of the most popular chants that we've heard over the past couple of weeks is, when people are occupied, resistance is justified. Well, does that mean resistance in the form of terror attacks, of literally beheading babies, of, of sexually assaulting and mutilating teenage girls, of burning the elderly alive in their homes? Is that justified? Because if you can justify that in the name of fighting against colonialism and 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 colonization and and you know the majority, the the oppressors, you can justify anything. And I think the biggest takeaway from this is far too many people really do believe that such unspeakable evil is justified and justifiable. And and honestly, well, I hope, Dave, I hope not. That's depressing. Yeah, that's I hope, depressing. I hope that no it one is. really believes that. But what, what what have you have you heard anything different? Well, in those pro-Palestinian no, protests, no. Would no, there be but, a pro-Palestinian protest <laughs> if it wasn't for the terror attack? No. Okay, sorry. Right, I'm right. sorry. Dave, even my producer in the radio studio saying, "Calm down." I just I get so mad when I talk about. Oh, this did he? Stuff, did he? Dave, sorry. Yes, he so, did. Actually. Sorry, sorry for firing him up. All right. Okay. So let's uh, <laughs> let me bail you out here. All right. So you talked about the GDP estimate to begin yeah. the story. Four point nine percent was the third quarter number. I mean, that is a massive number. Now. Part of that is what's called inventory rebuild. That's about 1.5%. But even if you strip that out, that brings you down to 3.4% of GDP, still a positive number. Will it stay that high? Probably not. I'm sure you're going to start seeing slowing down in Q4, Q1, and Q2 of 2024. As things slow down, then you're going to start to have this conversation about the recession wasn't canceled, it was just postponed. And you remember I said that about six to nine months ago. We could have a slowing down into 2024. And if that starts to happen, perhaps a slowing down to zero or a mild recession right before an election. It certainly will be interesting. And what does the Fed do about that? The other saying that's been out there is higher for longer. That meant that they were supposed to raise these interest rates to tamp down inflation, which appears for the most part to be slowing down. What happens in 2024? Do they turn around and start lowering interest rates into an election? That is, again, going to be this cross-current of politics and economics in full-scale 
in right in front of everybody. Are you lowering rates right in front of an election, especially with an incumbent running for office? At least that's the way it looks right now. That'll be something very interesting. And that's what's happening with Treasury yields right now. You start to see the two-year and the third-year, as we're doing this podcast, are almost equal. But, you know, the belly is a little saggy, like like an older person. But you see the two and the 30 start to even out. What happens with Treasury yields? All of that goes into this conversation. And then lastly, of course, is earnings. Earnings have been better than expected. You know, Dan, you're familiar with this uh, Magnificent Seven. It's these big seven stocks that are out there right now. And, mm-hmm. and they really are, you know, you talk about Tesla, Alphabet, Microsoft, NVIDIA, those companies, Amazon and Apple. They are bigger than, I'd say, one, two, I'd say about seven sectors in total. If you just took the Magnificent Seven and say, what is the cap rate of that? That is bigger than energy, industrials, discretionary materials, and utilities added up together. So we'd certainly have to pay attention to what's happening with those big companies. But why do I say all these things? Because people come in, Dan, and they have this mishmash in their portfolio. They don't have a tax plan. They haven't got to their estate plan. A fee-only fiduciary gets you through all of that. Yeah, and that's why you really do need to go to AnnexWealth.com. Get a free review of your portfolio, a wealth metric. Uh, when it comes to the Fed's next moves, yep. Dave, yep. is it really anyone's guess now? But right now, it's gonna—you know—it's almost certain this week that they're not going to do anything. They're not going to—you know—raise rates. But they've raised them, you know, 525 basis points in a short amount of time. If you look at that against the scale, that is an aggressive rate-raising cycle. When they went from zero effectively to five, five and a half percent. That is intended to slow down the economy. It has a lag effect. You're starting to see that right now. And so as it slows down, slows down the economy, it brings down inflation. Remember, though, that inflation is the rate of change, and people forget that. So if their target is only 2%, that means they only want prices to go up 2%. That doesn't mean prices are going back down to where they were. Right, they're up 15 to 20 percent since the new administration. That's not going backwards. So you have to take a look at that. Look at inflation. Look at your portfolio. Is it positioned correctly? Get a wealth metric done so you understand what is in your portfolio, why you own it, and as importantly, what you're paying for it. Especially in these times of extreme uncertainty with conflict in the Middle East and soon to be ramped up even more conflict at home politically in the form of a presidential election. Thanks to everyone for listening to 75 episodes. Still hard to believe. For Dave Spano, I'm Dan O'Donnell saying thanks for listening to each one here on The Difference. Annex Wealth Management is a registered investment advisor. For more information about our firm, please visit AnnexWealth.com. The information in this podcast is for educational and entertainment purposes only and is subject to change without notice. Opinions expressed are those of the participants and don't necessarily reflect those of Annex Wealth Management, its producers, hosts, or guests. The host of this podcast is compensated for his endorsement of Annex Wealth Management. Information presented should not be considered as tax, legal, or investment advice, or recommendation or solicitation for the sale of any product or strategy. Listeners are encouraged to seek advice from qualified professionals to determine whether any information presented may be suitable for their specific situation. Investments involve risks. Neither Annex Wealth Management nor its podcast participants shall be liable for losses resulting from decisions based on information or viewpoints presented on this podcast.